I, uh, I want to ask the indulgence of my colleagues and the witnesses and those who have joined us today to observe this hearing. All of you know that I don't ordinarily take a lot of time for an opening statement at our hearings and that I encourage our witnesses to be brief in their testimony. I want to take a few extra minutes to share some of my perspectives on the bill before us. For the past several years, I have heard broad-based concerns from tribal leaders and members of Congress that the Cobell litigation, which has been pending for nine years, is draining resources from Indian country and creating a poisonous atmosphere for the administration of the federal government's trust responsibilities to Native Americans. In the 107th and 108th Congresses, I introduced legislation that was intended to try to correct some of the problems in the administration of the trust funds and assets. In those bills, the Cobell plaintiffs asked that I include a provision that would allow the litigation to continue to its conclusion. With the support of tribal leaders, I agreed to do so. In the 108th Congress, the House Committee on Resources and this committee worked with the Cobell plaintiffs and the Department of Interior and Justice to identify and enlist the support of two highly qualified mediators to determine if it would be possible to reach an agreement on a settlement of the litigation. I supported that effort. Unfortunately, it did not succeed, and neither did any of the bills I introduced. Earlier this year, with the support of the plaintiffs and defendants in the Cobell litigation, but more importantly, with the support of many in Indian country, I said I'd make one good attempt at resolving the matter legislatively. If it did not succeed, there are many, many other issues that the committee can attend to. Last week, Senator Dorgan, my friend and co-chairman, joined me in introducing S-1439, a bill to resolve the historical accounting claims in Cobell v. Norton, and began to reform the Department of Interior's trust responsibility. We made it very clear to all parties that the bill was intended to provide a basis for discussion and review of the issues, and we welcomed comment and the opportunity to improve it. However, before anyone had time to read and fully understand the bill, the lead plaintiff in the Cobell case was quoted in the press saying that the bill, quote, reminded me of the Baker massacre at Blackfeet when they gave Heavy Runner this piece of paper. They said, quote, hold it up, it will keep you safe, unquote. I can certainly understand that no one would be entirely satisfied with the bill. I can even understand that many would be disappointed. That's the nature of a settlement proposal. No one gets everything they want. There are no clear winners. This bill embodies a series of proposals. It reflects extensive listening and reflecting on the views of the parties to the lit litigation, tribal leaders, and many other stakeholders from around the country. It cannot credibly be compared to a massacre, even in a figure of speech. I hope that those who are affected most directly by the settlement of this long-standing dispute will engage constructively in the process. I'm disturbed, however, by what I see is a serious misapprehension of some that settlement legislation can be enacted by being forced down the throat of either party. This simply cannot and will not happen. The idea that it might betrays a fundamental lack of understanding of the legislative process in general and the battle ahead for any legislation that would settle the Cobell litigation in particular. If all of the people testifying here today were to join hands and reach agreement on every word in the bill, the work before all of us would be just beginning. There are many members of Congress, of the public at large, 
and in the claimant class who will ask very hard questions about the amount of money we propose to pay in lieu of providing an historical accounting. I think the sizable sum we envision and the manner of its distribution can be defended, but it will have to be defended, and unity among those here today is necessary, but by no means sufficient to do that. While they don't, do not like to talk about it in public, the fact remains that both parties to the case face very serious legal risks if the, litig if the litigation continues. Some aspects of the strong opinions of the district court, often cited by plaintiffs, have been rejected by the Court of Appeals, which is much more selectively cited. The burden of proof that the Court of Appeals has established for the claims appears to comport with the precedent with the precedent, but imposes a very real and substantial challenge to each and every claimant in the class. And while the parties may not agree on how much risk each faces, they should agree that they risk facing years and years and years of litigation, during which time the individual plaintiffs stand to receive nothing save the further draining of resources away from programs such as education and public safety and towards the Office of Special Trustee. The defendants face year after year of painstaking efforts to reconstruct the past while simultaneously trying to cope with seemingly inexhaustible demands to do more and better with limited resources appropriated by Congress. I am well aware of the hardships experienced every day by the individuals who have not been and are not being treated fairly in the administration of their trust funds and assets. I have visited them in their homes and on the lands in the Southwest the Northwest, and the Great Plains. I, too, would like to see them achieve some justice in their lifetimes. And I would like to believe that at the end of the day, the individuals who struggle through the drama of the litigation on both sides would like to see them made as whole as is possible in the circumstances we all confront. I understand that the plaintiffs have reached neg reacted negatively to the proposal that the settlement funds to be made available by Congress would be distributed by a special master as opposed to having the court distribute the funds and determine attorney's fees. While the legislation does not specify a dollar amount, it does make clear that the resolution will be for billions of dollars. At a minimum, for the class of hundreds of thousands described in the bill, the bill proposes that each receive thousands of dollars in per capita payments alone. This is at a minimum. In addition to per capita payments, the legislation envisions that many claimants will receive much more than this in formula payments, depending on what they were likely to have lost as a result of the Department of Interior's mishandling of their individual Indian money accounts. If the federal government is going to make this money available to attempt to right a wrong perpetrated over many years of mismanaging accounts, it does not strike me as unreasonable that the legislation resolve the class action for historical accountings and remove it from the court for a prompt and fair distribution to claimants. Congress did this for the families of the victims of the 9-11 attacks. It is not a flawless way to proceed, but it has been demonstrated to be fair and prompt. I look forward to hearing the witnesses' statements today. We're considering very complex issues, and S-1439 can be significantly improved but it must be with the agreement of both parties to the Cobell litigation and with the support of tribes from around the nation. Although no tribe is a direct party to the litigation, it's evident to even the most casual observer that all tribes have been are be and are being affected by it. 
let's start to put our efforts into finding a way to move forward together. We have an opportunity to try to make some genuine progress on the issues that are addressed in S-1439. Let's all approach it with the seriousness it deserves and leave the rhetoric to others. We won't have this opportunity again anytime soon. Senator Dorgan. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much. Let me echo your comments about some of the more intemperate remarks that have been made about our draft proposal. It, it is important to point out that this litigation, the Cobell litigation, affects not just the individuals that are a party to the litigation. It will affect all Indian people all across this country. And uh, in the future, we can spend billions of dollars doing historical accounting, sending the money to accountants, legions of accountants and lawyers to do the historical accounting, or we can find some way to resolve this. But the fact is, uh, it, th this issue is going to affect Indian health care, Indian housing, Indian education, unless we find some way to address it. Now, we drafted a piece of legislation. We said it was a start, a draft. We, uh, we left the money issue blank uh, in the, in the uh, larger uh, numbers. Um, we uh, drafted this, uh, influenced by many of the principles developed by the work group that was organized by the National Congress of American Indians and Chairman Tex Hall and the Intertribal Monitoring Association. And when we put it out there, we, we clearly indicated, look, this is just a step, we hope, in the right direction. Indian people have been cheated, bilked, and defrauded over a long period of time. I understand that. I agree with that. This country needs to deal with that. And it, it's been the case with respect to trust accounts. Senator McCain and I and other members of the committee can't undo that. We wish we could, but we can't. So the question is, what do we do now? Well, there are two choices. We can be actively involved trying to reach some kind of legislative solution to this that is acceptable to everyone or hopefully acceptable to, to most. Or we can just say we've got a lot of other things we ought to work on. You all just handle it. Let the courts handle it. We can't pass legislation. We've got too many discordant voices out there. It can't be done. So that will not be our agenda. We'll just not move legislation. Whatever the courts decide, they decide. Whatever money we have to pony up for accountants and attorneys, we'll do it. But, but we can't provide the leadership on something that's insoluble. That's, that's one approach. We've chosen not to try to move down that road because we think that is counterproductive for the country. But most importantly, we believe it's counterproductive for Indian people. And we, we think for the tribes and the, the individuals uh, involved in the case and for all Indians all across this country, who I think uh, still suffer from a bona fide emergency in health care, housing, and education. We need to do better. That's why we've decided to try to advance working with the working group, uh, advance something that we think constructively could intercept and, and, and respond to this. Does anybody in this room think that spending 8, 10, or $12 billion for accountants and lawyers on historic, uh, historical accounting is the right way to address this? I mean, that, that's unbelievable. So we've got two choices. We can either decide to proceed and work with people in a constructive way, or we can decide, don't bother us, we can't do it, and so you all go figure it out with the courts and, and let the lawyers and the accountants get rich and uh, everybody else is going to suffer the consequences. I hope we choose the former. But uh, I, I must say that I was, I was not very impressed the other day um, reading some of the statements. There is so much shrill 
noise, crowd noise on some of these issues that uh, uh, it, it will make it very hard to, to proceed. But let me let me also, as I conclude, say that there are also some some uh, there's some important leadership out there in Indian country as well who who really I think feel that this needs to get resolved in the right way for Indian people. We want to work with them, and uh, this will not be easy. But the, the, the chairman, <coughs> Chairman McCain, and I and other members of the committee have decided we have a responsibility to try. We're going to try as hard as we can to see if we can't find a way to do this. But we can't do it without your help. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Our first panel is Mr. Jim Kaysen, who is the Associate Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of the Interior. He's accompanied by Ross Swimmer, who is a special trustee for American Indians in the U.S. Department of Interior. Welcome to both of you, and uh, please proceed. It's good to have you back, Mr. Casey. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm sure. Uh, did, uh, excuse me, before you go, did Senator Cock or Senator Johnson have opening comments? Yes, Mr. Chairman, I, I do have a statement. Uh, in the interest of time, I'll... Uh, I'll uh, submit my statement for the records, but before that, I, I want to commend you and Senator Dogan for addressing this this huge historic problem for Indian country and all Indian people, and uh, it, it is something that's going to be tough, but I hope that uh, we will all work <coughs> together to try to find the best solutions to to uh, to this. Uh, this problem over the many, many centuries, and not centuries, but decades, uh, that this has, has been a problem. And, uh, uh, Mr. Chairman, I want to commend you and Senator Dogan for uh, introducing S-1439 and commend you for the efforts and to let you know that I'll be with you in, uh, in addressing uh, this, this huge issue for our country. Thank you very much. Thank you, Senator Johnson. Yes, Mr. Chairman, I'll be very brief. Uh, thank you for holding this hearing and for your efforts with the Indian Trust Reform Act of 2005. I'm still receiving comments from both tribal leaders and tribal members regarding this bill. Upon receiving more feedback from the interested parties back home, I'll share uh, their concerns with the committee. It's my hope that all concerned uh, parties can work toward a just conclusion with a minimum of harsh rhetoric and a maximum of good faith, cooperation, and consultation. I want to thank the committee staff for consulting with our tribal leaders thus far, as the committee should. My home state of South Dakota is home to a significant percentage of individual Indian money account holders and trust assets. Twenty-six percent of Indian money accounts are from tribes <laughs> in the Great Plains region, twice the number of individual accounts of any other region. I look forward to continuing to work with you as we proceed on this important issue. And frankly, I've been discouraged over the years with the government's actions pertaining to the management and mismanagement of the tribes and individual trust assets. The government as trustee has failed Indian country. At times, the government has acted in bad faith. I understand that this bill was drafted with compromise in mind. It's important that efforts continue to go on to reach a reasonable consensus. While I believe that this legislation is a good start, I urge the committee, as I know you will, to continue to take a hard look at some of the pro-tribal provisions that have been omitted. Most importantly, however, uh, I hope that we can arrive at a point where uh, legislation will include an articulation of trust standards in the legislation itself. Finally, any settlement legislation should balance the obligations that the United States owes to the tribes and tribal claimants 
We've got to be mindful that this legislation is, does not just address the, the settlement of Cobell, but has a significant impact on all tribal concerns. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.